Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. Well, hello to you, wherever you are in the world, however you're getting on. I hope you're all right. I hope things are progressing in the right way and things are opening up as they are in the UK. I'm glad to say. Uh, See how that goes, I guess, in the next coming months. But hopefully, hopefully I can go to a gig before too long because I really, really, really want to go to a gig. This week, I've got an interview with Rob Scatchard, who is the lead singer of a band called Papa Shango. If you haven't come across them, I would say look them up. Uh, They focus on spectacle, I would say, and their live shows are kind of their centrepiece. So it was a really interesting chat about how do you organise a band and how do you work these things out when the kind of visual spectacle of a gig is really what you focus on when you're corralling lots of people. As you hear, there's a lot of lots of people involved in this band. How do you arrange that and how do you organise these people to, to make progress and get ahead and that kind of thing? So really interesting chat covering a wide range of topics. I'm not going to waste any more time. Here we go. So today on the podcast, I am joined by Rob Scatchard, who's the singer for Papa Shango. Rob, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. And I'm even better and more impressed that you pronounced my surname correctly. So that's very good. Normally it's scratch card or scrapyard. So you've got it absolutely spot on. So that's a good start. Points for me. Huzzah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. So, as always, my first question for each and every guest is from the random question generator that I have found on the internet. And my question for you this week is, what are you interested in that most people haven't heard of? Ah, that's a really good... uh, I was going to say that's a good question, but I should say that's a good random generated question. (laughs) Uh, What am I most interested in that people haven't heard of? Do you know, I'm sticking to music. I, I'll probably just say Norwegian black metal, I suppose, is, is uh, yeah, but no one really knows uh, who isn't into music, what that is all about. So I tend not to share it, but I'm quite interested in it. <laughs> yes. I guess, I guess, yeah, maybe listeners to this podcast might be slightly more aware, but most people... That is an unusual <laughs> interest, I guess. Yeah, I did. Um, I did my dissertation on it at university. Oh, really? So wow! I did. Yes, that was many years ago. So yeah, it's quite an obscure little. What was What was your course? It was um, social and cultural studies. I'm now a drive a driving instructor now, so it bears little or no relevance to my current career. But um, and I cannot remember anything about social and cultural studies, but it was quite it was quite a nice little dis- dissertation to write because it was something that you're interested in. So yeah, it's many years ago. But, yeah. I mean, I I've got a degree in archaeology, so that's you know that served me that served me very well. <laughs> are you, uh, yeah, so I, I teach someone at the moment who's uh, she's finished her degree in archaeology and she's struggling to find jobs in that field. I don't know if you're. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm not an archaeologist. No. Anyway, so how did you get into music? And then I guess following that, how did the band get together? Cool. Okay, so getting into music is a channel that probably many people my age took, which is Freddie Mercury and Queen. I was about 13 13 years old and I saw this man with a moustache commanding the audience 
singing nice songs and I just got obsessed with him and it's just like I just want to do that when I'm older. So um, we started off just by getting some tennis rackets at my dad's shed and I made my friends perform tennis rackets, drum songs in front of parents pretending to be Queen. And from then it just went on an exploration into different types of music. But it was all to do with um, Freddie Mercury. So you you started off with Freddie Mercury and Queen, which is a great place to start, I've got to say. And then I guess your musical taste widened as you went on? Exactly, yes. I mean, I, I didn't want to go into some massive boring spiel about <laughs> where I went, but back in back before CDs, it was all cassettes. There was a, a shop in town called Our Price. I don't know. Some people might have heard of it. Um, and it sold all the different music. And it was just like an Aladdin's came like, okay, so there's Queen. And then you walk into the shop and you look on the shelves and it's like, hang on a minute. There's like millions of other cassettes and bands out there that I can discover. So uh, save my uh, money. And obviously the uh, bit of the internet didn't really exist. And so it's just experimentation really, which I loved. I mean, I've heard of Jimi Hendrix. I've heard of some Led Zeppelin. So it went, basically went from Queen to um, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, from Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin to Iron Maiden, from Iron Maiden into the Thrash, Megadeth, and then into the Death stuff, did the full circle, and now I just like a little bit of, I don't mind if it's uh, pop music, hip-hop, don't care what it is, as long as I like the tune, I like the tune, I don't mind who it's by. Bit of everything, it sounds like. Yes, exactly, yeah. Was Papa Shango your first band, or were there their bands before? Okay, so yeah, no, it's going, it goes right back, oh... So I started doing bands about 20 years ago and I was in a band called Dark Entity when we were all sort of tape trading and that was, as you can tell from the name, Dark Entity and sort of death, well it wasn't sort of death metal, it was death metal. <coughs> uh, we toured um, around Europe with Napalm Death many years ago. It's about, this is going back 20 odd years and that sort of fizzled out, went to university and all that kind of thing. And then after university, I just wanted to do music again. So I put Dark Entity back together, but we called ourselves Fruit Tree because we didn't like the image of like, you have these sort of, these sort of thrash bands with all image and then, you know, they live at home with their parents. It's all a bit false, really. So we thought, called ourselves Fruit Tree because it's, uh, it's sort of, I don't know. Bit happier. It was death metal, happy death metal. <laughs> sure, I look sure I know happy. <laughs> um, and then that fizzled out. And then it was with fruit tree. We used to dress up as um, uh, wizards, as barbarian drummer. We, our guitarist had a full-on suit of armor. So it was going back to the Freddie Mercury thing, where you know, just put on the show, put on the show. And uh, Fruit Tree fizzled out, our drummer left to go move to Holland, and that fizzled out, and I still wanted to uh, push the boundaries of, of sort of music crossed over with just crazy stuff. And, uh, yeah, from that, I could I formed Papashanka, which was just, you know, there was no limits to to my imagination because they were all into it as well, really. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that kind of direction. This is a kind of question that I don't normally ask bands, but it feels a good question to ask. 
How would you define the genre of Papa Shango? I think that's, that's maybe not an easy question, but <laughs> in a different, uh, I could answer it in two ways. Maybe the, the e is a good question, but the easiest way to say it, where you are uh, repetitive riffs of juvenile lyrics. <laughs> um, but the other side of it is maybe just music-wise, it, it, it's it's rock, but performance-wise, it's it's something else to behold. <laughs> um, I think it's we've been described in one magazine as putting like a a sort of stage with stage show productions with like on a tight budget. So it's like big stage productions, even in small venues, will just go go the full way. And it all comes back to Freddie Murphy saying, "You've got to put on the show no matter what," because if people aren't interested in the music, and to be fair. You know, sometimes it is a bit boring standing there watching a band for 45 minutes, no matter how much you like them. And we've just got to give them something else. It's, you know, our, our stage show is so diverse and so ridiculous. It, it keeps people entertained. It keeps us entertained as well, really. So what what was your first gig as a band like? How Did it go well? Didn't it go well? What what happened there? As a, it, it was more of a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... It didn't start out, we've been going for so long, it, did, it definitely didn't start out, right, let's get 12 band members and let's put on a show. It just, um, might can't find the right word, but it sort of grew into that. We were just like um, five guys with matching T-shirts and that was the show that I'd, we had the same T-shirt on. And um, then it progressed a little bit more, let's get some female singers and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. And now there's sort of 12 buzzers, five backing singers. There's a flutist, a uh, dancing banana, a gorilla. So the first gig was pretty standard rock and roll, just um, playing heavy rock songs, mucking around in between. And then it just progressed and developed over the years because that's more of what people wanted to see and more of what we enjoy doing, really, I guess. Yeah. So I guess the I I completely understand and appreciate you know the 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 need to do a, a a big show even in small venues. I guess the the risk to that is that with a lot of people and a lot of uh, bits of equipment and things, um, it can get a bit difficult to organise. So when you you know, when you um, set up for a gig, you have a certain window of time where the previous band is set down, you need to set up and get playing. How do you manage that process? That's, uh, you've got, you, you really, you're asking all the good questions. Do you play in a band yourself? Is that how you're picking up on this? Or <laughs> uh, I have played in bands in the past, yes. Okay, <laughs> in terms of, uh, organ- yeah, depending on where we play, it's, everyone's kind of got their own responsibility for their own area. So the five girls, for example, in front of them, they've each got their own basket of props that they need to pull out of various songs. Uh, other lead female singers, she's got the same. It's just to get, it's to, you have to come, we get to the venue and you have to kind of look at the stage first and think, right, where am I going to put this? And then where am I going to put that? So it's, it's quite, you know, we're not worried about, um, where the speakers go or blah 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 it's it is literally oh hang on a minute i could put these props under this table 
and then come up and do that. When we play festivals, nice big stages, it's lovely. You know, you've got all the room in the world. But, um, yeah, it's a good question. It is a, it is a tricky thing to, to let put everything. And I think because we stomp around as well, and I'm quite clumsy at the best of times, I have to uh, – well, the guitarists are all wireless. In fact, the flutist is wireless as well. The bass player is wireless. So we tend not to trip over too much stuff, but we do have to be careful because they kind of go out into the audience and we sort of stand on tables and stand on chairs and go behind the bar. And there was one time we played a theatre um, and it's like a collapsible chairs and I kind of went out into the theatre and stood on this collapsible chair. Being a collapsible chair, it collapsed. Rob didn't think that at the time, but I happily stood on it and ended up in the kind of lap of some 60-year-old woman who had come to see her daughter support her, so it was all a bit awkward and embarrassing. But yes, we have to be careful about stuff like that. I guess you really appreciate it as a band when you get to return to a venue, because you sort of maybe already have an idea of how to use that space. Definitely, yes. I mean, yeah, in ter- yes, yeah, yeah. In terms of the space, we don't tend to stay on the stage a lot. The five girls pretty much stay on the stage, but the rest of us, because we're all wireless, we all kind of move around. So we kind of use the um, use the room to, to do our stuff. Apart from, like, obviously in festivals, we tend to stay on stage because it's just, you know, too much back wandering around everywhere. But, um, yeah, it, it is nice to return to venues when we, yeah, I mean, we've got a home venue that we really love. And our home venue is, is just, the smallest stage it's ridiculous but yeah it's challenging challenging is a good word but yes it can be challenging with props and so many others definitely i asked this question maybe with some trepidation have there been any nightmare experience gigs where everything went wrong we've had gigs where technical issues it just technical issues just completely messed up. It was a big festival. We were looking forward to it. We were, who were we? We were playing with, we were actually supported by Top Loader, which is very exciting. And the day after, who's that Mancunian guy? Oh, my brain's gone. Sean Ryder, who does it? Black Grape, that's the one. Uh, Black Grape were playing as well. And we just were totally, really, really excited about this gig. Our old keyboardist, Ed, flew back from Ireland to play it. Um, we had rehearsals, which we don't normally do. Um, we just really got into it, really excited by it. And then we just beset by technical problems to the point where, even though there were 12 of us, there was just me, the drummer, and one guitarist playing for three entire songs we thought it went really badly but the crowd just they people are none the wiser you know out the front people most people are thinking to themselves oh i can only hear the drummer the guitarist and one vocal <laughs> they're more interested in staring at the girls bums and flying um like uh, beach balls around that we provided and stuff like that so for us, it was a disaster, but for everyone else, it seemed to go okay. That sounds uh, difficult, it must be said. Yeah. <laughs> we were really, I was really upset with it. I was really cross because we were really looking forward to it, and it and it's nobody's fault, really. It's just one of those things. And um, it's always the way, you know, when you really think, oh, this is one, this is going to be brilliant, this is amazing, and 
Ed's flown back from Ireland and everyone's going to come out and see us. And it was just, oh, and it was uh, hailstones as well. The whole thing was just, it, it was, yeah. And so everyone just went home because it was hailing. And it, oh, honestly, yeah, that was, a, that was a bad one. <laughs> it's an experience though, isn't it? It's one of those things you can look back on. Uh, yeah, definitely. And you think to yourself, like, because we've got, I've got a master plan for what we're going to be doing with our um, next release. And you think, well, I mustn't get too excited. Just think, but if we do get big gigs again, like, enjoy it. But, you know, don't get too excited in the run-up, just in case. Kind of moving behind the scenes, I guess, a bit. How is the band managed? Is there a kind of single point person, or do you share out tasks between you? I do everything. Or my, I don't, my, I have all the ideas and the organisation and I will, like I said, there's 12 of us, so it's quite hard. Well, it used to be hard before we had everybody on board, but we've got a brilliant set of 12 people now and everyone is on board. So pretty much like we've got a photo shoot for the new album next month. So I will literally just tell them, right, the photo shoot is on X day, be there or don't be. And, you know, everyone will be there. There's never any... Uh, arguments or anything or it's just like we're doing this and then we do it <laughs> and there's never any problems um, because everyone's really on board really and I'm quite lucky because as well I've got um, I'm not very good at technical stuff Photoshop and Facebook and all that kind of stuff so we've got another guy who's not actually in the band but he does our media stuff and technical stuff so I farm stuff out to him and if there's something I'm not sure about I'll ask um our bass player said I'll say oh, what do you think I should do with this because sometimes I get a bit stuck on things or frustrated with something but um, yeah I, I'm so blessed and lucky because I've got this band of really nice people and they really love it and I really love it and they're really up for it and it's really easy to do apart from the fact that it's quite slow moving because there are so many others but there you go yeah I'm lucky so you, I guess you are, um, if I can put it bluntly, in charge of the band. Yeah, 100%. And they know it, otherwise there's trouble. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. But, um, no, I mean, it sounds weird, but it's down to an age thing. Like, the, the stuff that we had, the problems that we had before were with sort of younger members who wouldn't challenge what I'd say, just more sort of didn't pull their weight. Not that it's weight needs pulling, but, you know, you'd ask stuff to be done and it might not be done and then it gets frustrating and awkward. But everyone's so on board that, um, yeah, no, it's, it's easy to motor along, really. And they they just love being on stage and we all just love being on stage. And, that, and if we're all working towards that goal, and my ideas, then yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. When it comes to um, recording and that side of things, do you record yourselves, or do you go into a studio for that kind of thing? What's your What's your approach to that? So it's a good question. And what happened was that we started to record an album five years ago. <laughs> And we did half of it. We did maybe five songs, and then the guitarist and a couple of the singers left. And then we were kind of in no man's land. Just we were still gigging, but 
needed to finish the album off. So we finished it just before lockdown. That was about a year ago. But the process, we got quite frustrated. The guy mixing it, although he was a lovely guy, maybe he wasn't the fastest guy in the world. And um, it's been, it's taken a year of over this lockdown period to persuade him to finish the mixing, which eventually he did. <laughs> and it finished mixing about a month ago. And we're absolutely over the moon with it. It's been mixed and mastered now, but now I'm just waiting for um, other bits of Bob. So anyway, sorry, to answer your question, yes, we went into the studio about five years ago, then didn't, and then did, and now it's finally finished. <laughs> Hooray! Yes. <laughs> so it's it's on the on the horizon, I guess. It def- yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm not going to lie, our previous stuff, the two albums we had before were more, more records of our songs. I wanted to record our songs just because that's what people do, you know. Right, we've recorded it, we can forget about it. Didn't really promote it. Second album, right, let's make some songs, we record them, right, that's ticked off. It's like doing your homework, you know, you're in a band, record your songs, tick, didn't do anything with it. But this um, album, it's like a culmination, it's the pinnacle of everything because we've got all the right people now and the music is the first time in 20-odd years that I've done bands is actually music that I choose to listen to (laughs) and put put on the CD and think, actually, that's really good. I'm really proud of that. So um, we just need to uh, record a a video, um, which is another thing that's in the pipeline. So we've got a photo shoot and a video. And once the video is done, then we can start promoting it properly. But it'll be the first album album we've promoted. So we're using proper PR companies, etc., etc. We're going to do it properly and go that way. So, yeah, quite excited about it. So I guess that's been a big part of your... um lockdown band experience it's getting this album sorted definitely there's just been that because i knew it was all there and it was just the frustration of waiting for it to be finished and in my head it's like all the plans are ready and i'm making contact with the pr companies and they're like give us a shout when it's ready so it's all sort of yeah laid out in my head so i don't get the photo shoot video and then we can release it so and that was the plan yeah that over lockdown gave me the time to investigate PR companies, talk to people, what's it all about, how are we going to do it? So that was a big advantage for me to work out a little bit how the music industry is put together because, you know, you're going to spend money on it and you want to do it with the right people. You don't want charlatans and things like that. So lockdown gave me the opportunity to to speak to the right people who can point, point to it in the right way kind of thing. Nice. So you had that bit of that bit of space to kind of work out what what you were looking for yeah 100 percent, definitely and and that's exactly what it was it was like okay so the mixing's taking ages what else can i get on with that's that's constructive i'm just sitting at home walking the dog every now and then and well now and then for a whole year (laughs) but it gave me that whole year to to make contacts and speaking to yourself as well and i've done other interviews it's like okay i want to know how it works and like the first few interviews I did I was a bit nervous but 
you know, you're very nice and you're asking nice questions, so now I feel relaxed. And it's just getting used to that whole thing because when we go for the big push, it's going to be um, a lot more full on, yeah. Cool. So what, um, what's what been the, the biggest success of the band so far, in your opinion? I would say for us, we just love doing big live shows and playing in front of lots of people. So I think any gig that we do, that we, I don't know, we enjoy all gigs, but any gigs that we do where all of us are buzzing at the same time from it, you know, that's, that's a, that's a success for us really, because it's, uh, it's all about going out with your friends and <coughs> showing off on stage. And if we're all buzzing from a particular gig, then, you're all kind of in it together and, you know, we've achieved something quite nice, really. So I think the, the, the success-wise is lots of enjoyable gigs on big stages and smaller gigs. It doesn't matter the size of the stage, big, small, playing in front of people and having people come up to us going, I haven't seen anything like that. Why don't, why aren't you bigger? Like, why? It's like they say to us, why don't you play, um, why don't you play Bloodstock? Why don't you play Don- Download? It's like, okay. Fine, like, hello, is that download on the phone? <laughs> yes, this yes, this man said that we should play. <laughs> it's just like, you know, but um, it's yeah, just playing in front of gigs, in front of people and all being together and enjoying it. But I think the big, uh, not I think, I know the successes are going to come from this next album once it all gets pushed properly because it's, it's exciting because it's good and it's exciting because it's the first time we're going to do something with something that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good to have uh, something to promote <laughs> when you're kind of going out there and pushing forward. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm looking forward to it. Really. Yeah. So taking a step back um, and I'm, if I'm really honest, I'm not sure why I've asked these questions in this order, but here we are now. So I'll, I'll continue with this. How do you write songs as a band? What's your approach to song songwriting? So I don't know how other bands do it, but I'll tell you how we do it. It's quite unusual, maybe, but I have a list of song titles. Probably I've got about, if I look on my phone now, I've got maybe four or five song titles. So I've got like um, one of the song titles I'm looking at front of me is Girls and Goblins, which is a a song about... um, Dungeons and Dragons, but for girls. Uh, it's not a sexist song, by the way. It's just we were going to get our backing singers to wear goblin masks while I do role-playing <laughs> bands. Uh, and we've got another song called Marching Orders, which was like a marching song, so getting the audience to march about one, two, three, four, don't know, and a, a song about hairdressing and gardening. So we like to have these universal universal themes that everyone can uh, relate to. So I've, anyway, sorry, I've got a list of song titles and I'll say to the boys, the two guitarists, can you uh, give me some riffs, please? And um, they will just record a load of random riffs on their phone and I'll say, mm, I'll think, ooh, well, I quite like that riff. So I'll probably pick up, I don't know if they'll listen to this. So, say, <laughs> so they gave me about, five or six riffs i'll always start with my favorite one so i think if i think oh that sounds catchy i'll use that one and i look down my list of songs and i think okay well that's my favorite title so i'll match up my favorite riff that they give me 
with my favourite song title and then start constructing it from there. But every single song needs uh, a gimmick, so something to entertain the crowd with. So the Girls and Goblins one is the girls will uh, have goblin masks and I think during the breakdown we'll go out into the crowd and play some Dungeons & Dragons or something to do with dice. I haven't quite worked it out yet, but um, <laughs> some sort of gimmick will, will happen with Girls and Goblins anyway. So. So basically, yeah, they give me riffs and I add titles to it. It's it's interesting because you, your approach, for obvious reasons, because of the way the band is, is based around the live show and what makes the live show work in that regard with each song, rather than necessarily how will this sound on a record. 100%, yes, yes, that's that you've, you've spun it around exactly right. So it's, um, and that's why this album is so good because like you say if we write a song it has to be we're going to write this for the crowd that are watching us but in this case the the record that we did do the album the music just sounds absolutely top draw as well without even without having to have the gimmicks in but the song the songwriting process got a little bit harder for me because I've, I've made a rod from my own back because i've got there's me and i've got a joint female singer now so there's two front people Plus, I've got backing vocals to write as well. So I've got to write stuff for her, stuff for me, and stuff for the backing singer. So I've got three different parts to write in each song, which I enjoy the challenge. But, yeah, it's made it a little bit harder. But, yeah, that's good. I mean, it sounds like a a fun way that you go about things. Yeah, like, right, (laughs) I'd say to me, okay, like, I've got this idea for a song, and the first question would be like, right, from everyone else in the band, right? What's the gimmick? And I sometimes I haven't, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely no idea what to do for the gimmick. And one of the girls or someone might say, "Oh, why don't you do this?" And I'm like, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, we'll, we'll take that and uh, do that. So um, we've got a, a going to try a new song called. Um, you told me not to swear, so it's not really swearing. But we've got a new song called "Sex Robot," where I'm sort of a sad lonely robot and i just couldn't think of a, a gimmick at all but one of the girls said um just do like a mm, actually i'll probably leave it if i'm not <laughs> they can find out at the live show yeah there you go but the gimmick the gimmick was genius anyway i'll, I'll bear that in mind <laughs> my final question for you is what goals do you have for the band in the next say six months to a year or so yeah, just back to back to what I said. Really, just um, I flick around on Facebook a lot. I've got two bands that I'm kind of friends with on Facebook at the moment, and they're doing very well. One of them got into Classic Rock magazine, and another one got into something else. And it's quite frustrating watching them because I think, come on, hurry up, Pepper Shango, it's our turn soon. But um, still got to wait for the video done. And, uh, yeah, we're going to release this record risk, risk assessment. And I think, not I think, I know it will put us on a slightly, a few rungs up the ladder. So it will be mean, it will mean hopefully better gigs, better festivals. I mean, realistically, you're never going to make money from music ever. But it's just that, we do, I think we do it just to show off on stage and we just love being on stage. Some musicians do it 
for the technicality of it. This has got to sound like this. This has got to sound perfect. This is amazing, this solo. But where I'm lucky to be blessed with excellent musicians who put on, but at the same time, put on really nice shows. Like people come up to and go, oh, you guys are amazing. And you're really good at playing as well. Which <laughs> is like, like a really... You know, that's really high praise because it, it, it isn't about, I mean, anyone could do what, put on the costumes and be total idiots, but luckily they, the musicians and the band back it up with actually, uh, again, a console is actually very hot playing, I should say, um, and, and it works really well. But um, for the future, hopefully uh, releasing the album, getting it in as many places as possible and going up the ladder with it. I think it's a shame that I, I could rant on about it's a shame that people have to pay PR to get it out there, but that's just the way it's always been in a way. I'd like to think you know, people can pick bands up off their own back, which does happen, but underneath that, I know that bands are sort of doing it by paying and getting it in the right places and things like that. It's the it's a shame that it has to be that way. But sometimes we play to, like I say, venues around the country and people come to us like, well, why haven't I heard of you? This this show is just ridiculous. I absolutely love it. You should do this. You should do that. And, it, you know, it's just social media and all that stuff, isn't it? It's, but um, there you go. I won't rant about it. <laughs> but do you know what I mean, though? It's all like, oh, frustrating. <laughs> but there you go. I mean, yeah, it, it does in the kind of, especially especially at the moment, the last year and a half, it's it's all about your social media at the moment and how that looks. Yeah, and, and you know, there's so much talent there. There's some brilliant, absolutely bloody brilliant bands that you see out there. And you think, you know, you should really be, you should make it or whatever. Some of your songs are incredible, but then it's, again, it's back down to the, but um, to the other side of things, which is pushing yourself on social media and all that kind of thing. But you can't have one without the other, I suppose, these days is what I'm saying. Sadly true. And that's kind of that's the main point of this podcast is helping bands to work out how to push themselves forward, especially around social media. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good idea. It's just hard. You've just got to be on it. And I think what... There's a little bit of what we do, it sounds cynical, but some of what we do, like we are stupid and we do enjoy it. And some of it is like, well, we've heard so many rock, generic sort of rock bands that you could go and watch. And it's pretty boring. Like, why don't we just do something different? Why don't we just totally jazz up the stage show and just just get something different? Because most rock music has done been done before to a very high standard, you know. If we would just went on stage and played our songs, people would go, oh, that's quite a good rock band. Look at the old men playing rock music. Well done. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you, need to, you need something extra. So I think that's... And I say to bands, just, you just need something extra. I don't know. Buy some hats and sing stupid clothes. <laughs> some stupid songs. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so... My final—I was going to say it's my final question. It's not really a question, um, but to close out the podcast, I'd love to ask you for your favourite song from the band, which we can play at the end of the podcast. Uh, so, what's what's the song, and why that song? 
I was torn between this because um, we're not allowed to <coughs> play anything off our new album because it's not officially released yet, and I really wanted to, but um, you said not to at the moment. So I picked my favourite song from the previous album, Manservant, purely because I think the production was best this <laughs> one, and the guitar sounds quite nice and heavy, and... It's a pretty standard rock song about a man that lives near uh, the sea, works on a shipyard and wants to buy a ship. But when we play it live, it's all kind of, um, there's actions and we do a sea shanty in the middle and it's all good fun and the girls dress up as sailors and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's just a heavy, nice song. I like it. <laughs> Yes, there, there, there is a sea shanty in the middle, so uh, prepare yourself is, is kind of all I can say. So this is Papa Shango with Boys Ahoy. Rob, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Phil. Comes, we'll all arise. Yo, ho, boys, ahoy! And the morning comes, we'll all arise. Yo, ho, 